future of work, trade and commerce is in sharp focus, as the implications of the global effort to contain the spread of the coronavirus shows how we are falling short of being digitally equipped enough to keep regular levels of activity going through crises, health or otherwise, which we should now expect to happen more regularly in an interconnected world. We could also expect a surge in investment in digital capabilities and technologies that will make every company resilient and nimble enough to shrug off the next outbreak. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is Kelsey Warner, our future editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. Good to have you here. Good to be here, as always. Also in the studio is Leon Smith, the founder of crypto asset exchange Dex. Leon, how are you? Great. Thank you for having me. It's it's good you're here, actually. We don't always time these guests as perfectly, perhaps, as, as we did today. Um, obviously, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there's the wider issue of the coronavirus outbreak that everybody's dealing with at the moment. But really, what we wanted to get into was discussion of, you know, how well-equipped are we and how digitally savvy we are. And, and your business, you're kind of at the forefront of the digital capabilities that we're trying to develop in the financial world and elsewhere. And, and are you seeing how people are trying to get to grips with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly being at the forefront um, of the digital world, you're, you're looking at where the space may interface or where there's crossover um, as to how you could apply those technologies um, to uh, assess what the risk is, to assess crisis management, and perhaps when you're looking at something like the coronavirus, how can different federal agencies in many different countries use cutting-edge technology to manage what is a, uh, a global crisis um, but using digital infrastructure? I mean, we'll get into the crypto asset uh, nature of your business a little bit later, but um, I'll bring Kelsey in now. Um, we, you know, we kind of are at the limits of... Uh, how we can do our day-to-day work at the moment. Um, we are unable in, in certain jurisdictions, in certain areas, for mass congregations of people, whether it be for conferences or, or meetings, or everyone's trying to minimize the the gatherings of... of right, we've of, got the rolling log of who's canceling what next yes. and where. And yes. this all really began, of course, in China, spread out into throughout Asia. But now you've got you know, the Gene- Geneva Motor Show canceled, the biggest energy conference in Texas, uh, Sarah Week in Houston canceled, uh, biggest property exhibition in Cannes, Meepham canceled. So just the rolling log of cancellations to minimize in order to contain, because right now we are at a place with coronavirus where it can be contained, according to the World Health Organization. So I do think companies we're seeing taking advantage of the possibility that this doesn't need to be so widespread if we actually do take really proactive measures. And these do seem really proactive. Yeah, I think that's the point. I mean, it, it's proactive. I mean, I mean, first of all, I don't want to ignore the, and, and we aren't The human scale. Exactly. The human suffering. There are thousands of people who've died because of the illness. 80,000 are infected. So there is a justifiable sense of, of why we're doing or taking the precautions that we need to take, which is affecting day-to-day activities. right. right. In the, in the office, in the factories, at home, whatever it might be, at schools. Um, but also, because a lot of these are precautionary measures, there is a certain amount of anxiety and fear. And, and uh, you know, we hear anecdotal stories, I'm sure all of you have heard them, of companies that have sent people home, you yeah, know, and, right. and then... If self-quarantining for 14 days, if you've been to an area that has had an outsized impact of coronavirus or 
these work-from-home protocols that companies around the world are now enacting. I mean, as we were walking in, Twitter was making headlines that they were telling, Jack Dorsey's company was saying, stay home, work from home. I wonder actually if these companies are kind of stress testing their business as usual, remote protocols, and using coronavirus kind of as a as a way of doing that. Leon, do you guys work, do you have to work together on a daily basis, your company? Do you guys have to be in the same the same office? We do. And as a, as a regulated financial services exchange, uh, we, we certainly have to work together. We have to be in close proximity together, uh, both from an operational perspective and a regulatory perspective as that, well. Oh, that's interesting. So is, this, is that a byproduct of being in financial services, even though you, you're focusing on digital assets? It's it's something that perhaps um, goes back to the the old days of having a trading floor. Um, so whilst we've made significant advancements in technology, you you still require a, a close level of communication uh, in terms of working with your colleagues. Yeah. So I guess we're all in the same boat, is what we're trying to say. Like even if even if you might be a startup, um, you know, in the, in the tech sector, um, there's still that sense. But there are certainly companies that maybe have a culture of not working sure. together. And we are in the minority. I do think we're outliers in that we do have to go to a physical office space to produce a newspaper. To We are outliers, you think, sir? So the majority of workers report at least one day a week some level of telecommuting in the world. Um, so, yes, I, I think we're in the minority. But when you think about what we have to do on a day-to-day basis, most of us are just tapping on a keyboard. So I do think there is a high level of transferability home if the need should arise. So so if we come back to the the current crisis, because it's not the only crisis we've had in, in the last 10 years. And um, uh, if we look at um, the unpronounceable volcano in Iceland in 2010, I'm not even going to try to pronounce That's it. That's fine. Um, they, that disrupted airplane travel for two to three weeks, particularly in Europe, but also affected supply chains because a lot of stuff needed to fly from Europe. That was resolved in a relatively quick amount of time, but it caused a lot of pain. Uh, I think Emirates' president, Tim Clark, said it was costing their airline $10 million a day to be grounded at the time. That was 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like in the last decade that we've made a lot of progress in terms of dealing with these things, but I guess I'm have we? Not much progress, and I think not so much in coping, but our day-to-day access to tools that allow us to work remotely and maintain business as usual. You know, you've got Google Hangouts, you've got Slack. If you checked out Zoom's stock price last week, Zoom, the teleconferencing company, they're up 65% year to date off the news of more and more people being asked to work from home amid coronavirus fears. So a decade on, our technology really has changed, but I think it would be surprising to people when you really think about it, it really is just about having a webcam and a keyboard and but it's not seem, any futuristic, but seem, but cutting edge. Like no lag, right? Not a lot of delay, high quality. I mean, our webcams of 20 years ago aren't the same as the, sure. as the cameras we have now. Right. And it does feel like, you know, you can be kind of in constant contact messaging wise through these channels, but it is a business as usual intent. It's not cutting edge technology by any means. So the, the situation, the precaution situation, not necessarily where the, the centers of the, there are outbreaks whether we're talking about countries like Iran or South Korea or China or elsewhere. But if we're doing about precautionary measures, we, we're kind of, this is a combination of globalization, a trend that's been going for a while where everyone does business with everyone else across borders. 
we have social media where there is very little delay in sharing information and knowing information. Um, and the fact that more and more people are getting online every single day and being able to access all these tools. That's what makes the kind of fear and panic because we can see what everyone's doing to take precautions. We can know that Twitter or Google or other companies, what they're doing pretty much instantly. Right. Something that used to be an internal memo is now, you know, a headline within five minutes on broadcast news because Jack Dorsey has tweeted that they're, you know, implementing work from home. So it is, these are different times. We live in sort of a different type of echo chamber. Uh, But I think separating out supply chain from work from home, because what we're talking about is manufacturing when we talk sort of big global economy and the scale. Yeah, so Chinese manufacturing is contracted in February, according to the latest data. Right. And it has also in the United States. So you kind of see this relationship of how things are impacted. And actually where technology gets exciting is in the strides we're making in manufacturing. So, you know, messaging your friend on Slack, not too cutting edge. The robots we're building to cooperate in a manufacturing setting to lower headcounts in factories, that that's stuff that's going to move the needle when we are facing another so the next crisis cro- like the, the next crisis that results in f- in effect affecting aviation, affecting borders, affecting supply chains, affecting trade, we, if we're looking ahead to those that will pr- probably have more of them because of our interconnectedness, these are just going to keep pushing us down the automation, robotics, AI path. It's a really strong case for automation, really strong case for AI, strong case for 3D printing of plastics and metals on site. And investing in digitalization, Totally. So it's it, we're likely that this this will trigger a speeding up of that. Yes. But also the, the consequences of that, the disruption, the job losses, the political upheaval. Yeah, the case is really strongly being made, I think, for an acceleration on that front. It's all good news, essentially, is what we're trying to I'm say. I'm here for the silver lining. Um, you are the future editor, <laughs> so you, you're peering into the into the distance and saying more automation. I would like to stop short of making concrete predictions, but I also think, I mean, Leon, to bring you in, Samsung yesterday announced that they were going to be adding a crypto wallet right on its home screen, which I think is just like kind of a whole paradigm shift on usability and access to crypto. So like these sea changes are happening kind of overnight. And so this is something I want to talk to you about in terms of what do you, what did you think of that announcement? What do you think of consumers being given access to a digital token? It's a great question. And I think, you know, when you, when you travel around um, countries like Singapore or South Korea or Japan, um, where in Japan, for example, um, the central bank has actually made Bitcoin and or digital currencies legal tender. Um, it's almost a consumer-driven demand, really, that if Samsung or another operating system is first to market to deliver something that people are already using in their daily lives to purchase whatever products um, they're interfacing with in terms of consumables or um, buying from Alibaba or Amazon or whoever it may be. Um, It's really just large pieces of infrastructure that are involved in our day-to-day lives that are facilitating a piece of technology that people in different countries may consider just to be part and parcel of their everyday life. Whereas if 
we're looking at other jurisdictions, perhaps in Europe or North America, that may be um, an explanation that's required from that technology provider. And from that point of view, why is DEX a crypto uh, asset exchange in Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi global market? Why here? I mean, what? I mean, maybe we take a step back even in what brought you here. So. I was an entrepreneur and I founded um, my first company five years ago in the United Arab Emirates. Um, I had a strong interest in crypto and uh, digital assets. Um, and Was that through experience? Were you like trading them, for example? Yeah, that's right. Um, it was through experience and through my professional and personal networks um, in terms of just getting introduced to what was a new financial asset class, which was really exciting. There's not new financial asset classes that come along every five, 10 years. It's it's a rare event. So that piqued my curiosity. I, I was working um, with the ADGM um, in more uh, of a legal structuring capacity um, for another line of business. I was informed that the FSRA was looking at developing guidelines or a framework to govern digital assets, and henceforth we engaged uh, in our conversations. And so now you're going through the regulatory process. You're, you've got a kind of early phase license from the regulatory body there at ADGM. Uh, do you think you're going to be the the sort of early adopter of what might be quite an active hub for crypto and digital assets, do you think, more broadly, in, in Abu Dhabi and the UAE? Yes. We think that certainly putting in a strong regulatory framework is certainly the next step in terms of looking at what is a new asset class, but providing a strong regulatory framework so that institutions or other regulated uh, bodies within the global financial ecosystem have the opportunity to interface with a new asset class that may or may not be uh, on the horizon for them. But we, we also look at um, the global regulatory landscape. So we've talked a little bit about Japan, South Korea, Samsung's developments, um, and how that's sort of part and parcel of what would be part of your financial life um, in these countries. And we certainly look at building out or helping to build out the um, digital asset ecosystem within Abu Dhabi, which would form a cornerstone of the global digital asset ecosystem. So if you could just explain what the exchange is for somebody who is poking around online and thinking about maybe getting into crypto assets, how would they engage with DEX? What would that look like? Sure. Um, so we would uh, onboard you um, as a new client and you would uh, select which crypto asset you'd Either like to purchase. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, which ones? Deleting crypto assets. Um, and you'd have the opportunity to uh, to buy and sell these crypto assets on our exchange. In exchange for dirhams? In exchange for? In exchange for the major currencies. Okay. Yeah. And how's your cold storage? And by cold storage, I mean, 
your special vault in which you keep your digital assets away from would-be hackers. Yeah. Um, so for security reasons, we, we can't go into um, detail as to um, our, our own internal security practices, but you can say that we will be providing institutional-grade cold storage facilities with insurance to ensure that our clients' assets are protected. Because, I mean, cold storage is essentially offline, like a vault. You'd expect like a vault, but for digital assets. And it feels like um, while the, the digital financial landscape is changing really fast and it's really exciting, and the idea would be that you would own crypto assets and you know you could use them eventually the ultimately the the point at which the digital space and the physical space interact which is essentially the exchange is the one that is a, a, a easily easily identifiable target for nefarious actors essentially and it seems like at some point every exchange will eventually be targeted no matter what because you know, it's it's a it's a list. Eventually, you're gonna you're gonna be if you're number one hundred or number one thousand on that list, you're you're on a list because of what you are. Absolutely, um, it would be at parity or equivalency with what you would see with Visa or Mastercard or you know Equifax or the any of the large credit bureaus who have the most sensitive confidential data. You're absolutely on a list, as would be any bank. So it's it's certainly of of paramount um, uh, importance that our clients' data and security is first and foremost um, in terms of protecting both clients' assets. But in the world that we live in today, your personal data is equally as important as the assets themselves. Uh, Leon, uh, before we let you go, I just want to ask, what does 2020 look like for DEX? Um, what are you hoping you're going to get out of this year? Yeah, we're we're looking forward to um, launching and being a part of the uh, digital asset ecosystem in Abu Dhabi. Exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Very good. Well, Leon, thanks for being with us. Kelsey Warner, future editor, thank you so much. Thank you. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Gilead Sciences agreed to buy 47 for about $4.9 billion to advance it into one of the hottest areas of pharmaceutical research, cancer treatments that harness the immune system to fight tumors. Wizz Air Abu Dhabi, a joint venture between Abu Dhabi Developmental Holding Company and European low-cost airline Wizz Air, will begin operating in the autumn, it was announced. And Neutron Jack Welsh, who grew General Electric during the 80s and 90s into the most valuable public company in the US, has died at the age of 84. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe or leave us a review. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time.